0: Welcome to Disclosure. I'm Jean Boonstra. Well, Sean is away right now, and he's doing his Revelation Speaks Peace seminar in the Raleigh-Durham area. And we've decided that we'd like to share what Revelation Speaks Peace is all about with you. And so today, we're going to hear Sean doing the same seminar, but in Minneapolis a couple of years ago. I hope you enjoy.
1: All right, all right, one more. What time do y'all have to go to bed? Can we just go? One night we should just go till midnight answering questions. I got enough. There's, you guys are inquisitive in Minneapolis. You gave us the meaning of Daniel's name. Does Nebuchadnezzar mean anything? Oh boy, all right. Um, it's got Nebu in it. Nebu is the name of a Babylonian god. Which god is Nebu? Well, Babylonian gods sort of, tra- all the pagan cultures transferred their gods to each other. And so you find a lot of the ideas in Babylon. I'm convinced this is why God has it in a statue. A lot of things passed down. Even though Nebuchadnezzar is gone, he hands some things off to the next empire, like the pagan gods they worship and stuff. And they shared a lot of them. Nabu, we think, or Nebu, depending on how you, Nebu, kadnezer, it. The name probably means, if I remember right, may Nebu protect his son, as in Nebuchadnezzar is the son of Nebu. Nebu's closest analog that you might recognize is Apollo or Mercury, if we're going to get into the Greeks and and, and the Romans. And uh, Nebu was the Assyrian and the Babylonian God of wisdom and writing, and he's considered the son of the highest God, Marduk. Now think about it. He's responsible for the word, Nabu, and he's the son of the Most High God, which is Marduk. It's like he's a counterfeit of Jesus Christ, and you'll find counterfeits all through these cultures. And I just find that's about all I do know, and I find that interesting that he's the son of the Most High God in Babylonian culture, and he's responsible for writing and the word and jesus is the son of god and he is the word i sometimes doubt that that is a coincidence there are counterfeits in all of these other religions because once upon a time we all came from the same source and then we corrupted stories and um, anyway that'll show up too as we move along is what time is it it's my, my my presentation i guess i don't have to stick with it they have a clock there telling me when to be quiet Actually, flashes. Be quiet. No, it doesn't. Is heaven being built yet? Oh, no. Is heaven built yet, or is it being built? Thank you for writing large. I actually didn't need my glasses for that one. Is heaven being built yet, or is God, or is it being built? That's a wonderful study. I'm going to challenge you. Go look up the word heaven in the Bible. It shows up more than 500 times. And so, you know what you have to do, is read the whole thing, gather all of the evidence like a jigsaw puzzle, put it all together. We're actually going to do that as we move along. We're going to start doing that on Sunday night, and on another night, we're going to look at what the Bible says about heaven and, and, and so on, and just let the Bible speak for itself. But the answer to your question in the short version is yes and no. Is heaven built yet? Yes. Is it being built? Yes. Why do I say that? Well, it already exists. Hebrews chapter 9 says that Jesus went to heaven to appear in the presence of the Father for us. So it is already there. But then Jesus says in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you. So there is some preparation as well. Now, not having ever been to heaven, I have no way of describing for you what exactly that looks like. But the answer is yes, it's both. It's already there, but He's preparing a place for you. And hang in there. By Sunday night, we'll start digging into that a little bit better and will satisfy your curiosity. All right, I am running way behind schedule, I'll bet, but oh well. (laughs) Tonight we're going to talk about the man of Revelation, and by the time I'm done, I'm going to give you a chance to respond. I'm actually going to have the ushers toward the end pass out a card and let you give me some feedback on some of the things that you've, you've heard, if you'll indulge me in that, I think that you sit there very patiently listening, I'd like for you to tell me how what we're presenting is landing on you. And so you'll see that show up towards the end of the meeting tonight. But our subject is the Man of Revelation, and our textbook is the Bible. And so I would invite you to bow your heads with me in prayer. Father in heaven, I know how profoundly my own life was changed when I saw what was contained in the words of this book. It was here that I heard your voice, it was here that I met Jesus, and it's my prayer tonight that you would speak to us again and that we would meet Jesus, and that we would know more of Him when I'm done. That means I need, Father, for you to bless me. I need you to cover my mistakes and my sins and make me fit to speak so that the only real voice that is heard tonight is yours. And I ask it tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. When you open your Bible to the book of Revelation and you look at the very top, the very beginning of the book of Revelation, you'll notice something very interesting. In many editions of the Bible there is a title that has been given to the book. It'll say, The Revelation of John, or if you have the old King James version, it'll say, The Revelation of Saint John the Divine. And really, it's a pretty good title for the book because it, after all, was written by the Apostle John. And there is no doubt that John is a central figure in the whole drama of the book of Revelation. John actually was the last living disciple. And he's the only one who actually died of natural causes. The rest of them all put to death prematurely. Historically, we understand that Peter was crucified upside down. Thomas, run through by a spear. Andrew, crucified on an X-shaped cross. Paul, beheaded. John is the last of the apostles, the last of the disciples as well to be alive, the only one to die of natural causes. And that's not because they didn't try to kill him. They did. The Roman Empire tried to do away with John late in his life. There was a Roman emperor by the name of Domitian, and Domitian hated Christians, and apparently he tried to kill John because John is such a prominent figure in the early Christian church. And the way he tried to kill him was he lowered him into a vat of boiling oil. Now, the Bible doesn't tell that story. We're relying on the witness of first century Christians for that story. But apparently, he lowered him into what was essentially a deep fryer. If you can imagine how awful a way to go that would be. But for some reason, it failed. John survives. And so the emperor says, now what? i got to get rid of John. And he sends him out to a prison colony out in the Aegean Sea, a little barren piece of rock known as the island of Patmos, about 13 square miles in size and about 40 some miles off the coast of what is today Turkey, 45 miles from the city of Ephesus, which at that time was John's home. He was pastoring, we understand, the church in the city of Ephesus. Now, today on Patmos, there are about 3,000 people who live out there, and they live there by choice. But back in John's day, nobody really lived on Patmos by choice. It was really just prisoners, rejects from the Roman Empire, people who were safely removed from the rest of the population so that they couldn't make trouble anymore and of course being exiled there probably should have been the end of John's career. He's the last disciple alive and now he's removed from the rest of the human race except that one day he hears a voice and the voice happens to be Jesus And Jesus begins to show him some really incredible things. He shows him the stuff we read about in the book of Revelation. So there is no doubt that John is an important man. There is no doubt he is central to the book of Revelation. It makes sense that somebody would put his name at the top of the book. But it's a man-made title. The translators did that. It wasn't in the original manuscript. The real title of the book, I believe, is the one that God gave it right in Revelation 1, verse 1, where it says the revelation of who? Jesus Christ, not the revelation of John, which God gave him, that's Jesus, to show his servants. This is for us, the servants of Jesus. Things which must shortly take place. When will they take place? Shortly. Shortly. So we read it's the revelation of Jesus Christ, and it's a revelation of things that must take place shortly. Now, I want you to pay attention to that word. When will the things that John is about to see actually take place? He's told it will start happening shortly. So I want you to tuck that behind one ear. It's an important piece of information that's going to show up again. It happens shortly. So anytime you hear a theory that takes absolutely all of the book of Revelation and sticks it way off down in the distant future, and they say it all happens in just a few years at the very end of time, you've got to wonder about it because it starts out by saying it's going to happen shortly. Now, save that information. It's important. We'll come back to that on another night. But for right now, what I really want you to focus on is the actual real title. It is the Revelation of God. Jesus. This book is not really about John. This book is not really about dragons. It's not really about demons. It's not really about the Antichrist. Even though all those things are absolutely in the book. The real subject though, the focus of the book, is Jesus. And nowhere does that become more clear than in Revelation chapter 5. A scene that actually ushers you and I right into the throne room of God. Now let's set the stage for Revelation 5 just a little bit. John in Revelation chapter 4 is actually invited to visit heaven in vision. And that's a privilege that is extended to very few people. Only a handful of people have seen the throne of God in vision. It happens in Isaiah 6. It happens in Ezekiel 1. Ezekiel sees the throne of God above the wheel within the wheel. It only happens for a few people. It is a Very rare privilege. And you and I tonight get to join him as he goes. Revelation 5 verse 1. It says, and I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a what? A scroll written inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. There's a couple of things that I want you to notice in Revelation 5 verse 1. First of all, it says there are seven seals. Now in the book of Revelation, numbers are usually important. They're usually significant. They're not coincidental. They actually mean something, and the number seven shows up more than just about any other number. There are seven churches in Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3. There are seven candlesticks. There are seven plagues. There are seven thunders. There are seven things in Revelation 5 that the Lamb is worthy of. It says, worthy is the Lamb to receive power, riches, wisdom, strength, honor, glory, blessings. Seven things that the Lamb, seven shows up everywhere. That's because seven is one of God's numbers. It is the number of completion and perfection. Anytime you see the number seven, you have a whole set of something, a perfect set. You have perfection. Stems from the story of creation. God created the world in six days, rested on the seventh day. A creation week, seven days. We still have a seven-day week to this day. Seven is the number of completion, perfection. And you'll find it all over the book of Revelation. So that's the first thing I want you to notice. There are seven seals. And we're going to look at those seven seals more carefully tomorrow night. The other thing I want you to pay attention to is the scroll in God's hand. There are records in heaven. They write stuff down. By the time we come to this weekend, you're gonna find out that written records or books, books actually, we have books. It's a codex when you turn pages. A scroll is a little bit different. They write it on a long piece of paper and they roll it up, but they have written records and those are a very common feature in Bible prophecy. And it tells me something important. Records in heaven tells me nothing escapes God's notice, nothing. He doesn't miss a thing that takes place on this planet, right? Remember Belshazzar, numbered, numbered. You are weighed in the balances and found one. Somebody was numbering his life, paying attention. We have seen the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth. Heaven pays attention and they keep records. Verse 2, then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a tiny little voice, is that what it says? Are you still with me? All right. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a what? That wasn't loud at all. Let's try it again. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice. That's right. Who is worthy to open the scroll and loose its seals? There is an urgent question being asked in the courts of heaven. It is so urgent that they shout the question Who is worthy? It's a question that angels are interested in. We don't often think of angels as being interested in stuff. We don't pay much attention to angels. We treat them like robots. But in the Bible, they're real living beings with emotions and ideas and a real existence and a sense of curiosity. They ask questions. They don't know everything. Presumably, they know more than us. But they're not all knowing Only God is. And on this occasion, they want to know who is worthy to open the scroll and what is the answer. Pay attention carefully. And no one, verse 3... No one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. Who's worthy? No one. That's an absolutely critical thought. I want you to save that behind one ear for a little bit later on too because you're going to need that concept. No one is worthy. Verse 4. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it there's a problem in heaven. I know we also don't think of heaven as a place that has problems, but here's one that needs solving.
0: You're listening to Sean presenting Revelation Speaks Peace, which was recorded in Minneapolis. We're going to take a break, but we'll be back with much more. And as a reminder, you can always watch us at DisclosureRadio.com and listen to us on your favorite podcast app, I'm Jean Boonstra, and you're listening to Disclosure. We'll be right back after this short break.
2: Retirement planning can be a stressful process, but it doesn't have to be. The friendly people at The Voice of Prophecy can walk you through the entire process and explain all of your options based on your specific needs. Whether you'd like to set up a trust for income or make a gift that will benefit your loved ones and change lives through The Voice of Prophecy, we're here to help. To learn more, call 1-800-348-5993.
0: Welcome back to Disclosure. I'm Jean Boonstra. Well, today we're bringing you Revelation Speaks Peace. Now, this is a Bible prophecy seminar that Sean is presenting right now in Raleigh, North Carolina. And what you're listening to is the same seminar recorded in Minneapolis a couple of years ago.
1: They have a sealed book, a sealed scroll, and judging by the urgency in heaven, it has to be open. There is a sense that they all want that scroll open, but they can't find anybody who is qualified. And the angels are anxious, and John is anxious. He's so anxious he starts crying. Actually, crying is an understatement. He says, I wept much. What we are looking at is the biggest issue in our world. It's what we're looking at. This is a problem that must be solved, verse 5. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. Who is that? That's Jesus. The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. You see it? Prophecy is always good news. It's always, here's the human problem, and here is God's solution. That's why I insist that we preach Revelation speaks peace. The book of Revelation is not about destruction. It's about salvation. The book of Revelation is not about death. It's about conquering death through Jesus. It's not about hopelessness. It's about finding a hope in Jesus that lasts forever. John weeps, and the elder says, don't cry the lion of the tribe of Judah, verse 6. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb. Here's what I want you to notice. There's a pattern in the book of Revelation, and you'll see this in other studies that we do together. John first hears something sometimes and then he turns and he sees it. First he hears about the lion of the tribe of Judah and he turns and he sees a lamb. You'll see that in other places. In Revelation 7, he hears about 144,000 but then he turns and sees a multitude that no man could number. In Revelation chapter 1, John hears a voice like a trumpet and then he turns and he sees the Son of Man dressed like an Old Testament high priest standing with the seven candlesticks. In this occasion, he hears about a lion and he turns and he sees a lamb. And who is the lamb? The lamb is Jesus. I believe it's 28 times in the book of Revelation Jesus is referred to as the Lamb of God. That's what John the Baptist called him when he first laid eyes on Jesus coming to the Jordan River. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He sees a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns, there's that number, and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. There's that number seven again. Now I'm about to wander off topic for about two and a half minutes. Can I do that with you? Would you forgive me if I wandered off topic for two and a half minutes? Two minutes and 40 seconds? You know, the Bible says if you don't forgive me, you don't get to go to heaven at all. That's what it says. No, but this is interesting, it's just interesting and I'm kind of going to cover something we're going to do in more depth, but seven shows up so many times in this one verse, there are seven horns. When we get to Daniel chapter 7, you're going to find out that horns are often used to represent kings and kingdoms and political powers. It says so in Daniel chapter 7. Go do your homework tonight. The horns are kings and the horns are kingdoms. And there are seven of them here, which tells me Jesus has perfect, complete power. There are seven eyes. Eyes are often used to represent wisdom. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the earth. And so Jesus has seven of them. He has perfect wisdom and knowledge and it says the eyes of the seven spirits of God which go out into the world to the whole world and the Holy Spirit is how Jesus is still present with us today as he's on his way to heaven he says behold I will send you another comforter the Holy Spirit the third person of the Godhead and the spirit comes and he's perfectly present seven though because Jesus is perfectly present with us and if you think about it those three things are attributes only ascribed to God God is all power omnipotent God is omniscient all-knowing and God is omnipresent he is here all over this world with us through the Holy Spirit the book of Revelation uses the language of divinity to speak of Jesus Christ it does then he came and took the scroll verse 7 out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne here are the questions I have for you tonight why would John weep so bitterly? Why is this such a bad situation? What exactly did the lamb do that makes him worthy? And in the book of Revelation, why is he pictured like a slain lamb? Let me begin to explain with a story. It's Just an ordinary envelope, number 10. The kind you would get from any government agency But when Linda opened that envelope in her house, the bottom dropped out of her world. She'd been expecting the government of Nebraska to send her a copy of her birth certificate. She needed one to apply for a passport, and she couldn't find her birth certificate anywhere. So she asked for a replacement copy. And when she opened the envelope, she did not expect what she found. Splashed across the top of the document, it said, adoptive birth certificate. Now, normally, that wouldn't be a problem. There was just one little thing. She wasn't... Adopted. Obviously, somebody had made a mistake somewhere in a government office, and you know how hard that is to clean up. She's not going to get her passport on time now. I mean, she's not adopted. If she'd been adopted, she'd know that. She's 42 with four kids of her own. She would know that by now. She laughed about it. But she kind of had this little nagging doubt I wonder why I couldn't find a passport or a birth certificate anywhere. She began to wonder I wonder if there's something to this what if there's something I don't know? And for fun, she picked up the phone and called her uncle. She couldn't call her folks because they were already gone. Uncle, she said, I just got my birth certificate from the government and you wouldn't believe it. It says on there that I was adopted. Isn't that funny? Silence. Do you know something? A sigh. He said, look, your parents made me promise I would never tell you, but it's true. She hangs up, calls her sister Joan. Joan! What's the matter, Linda? You don't sound so good. I don't feel good. I want to know something. Am I your biological sister, yes or no? Silence. Come on, I have a right to know. Well, Mom and Dad made me promise I'd never tell you, but you found out. Yeah, it's true. She went into shock. Not because of adoption, but because she'd been lied to whole life is a lie. She went into the bedroom, she sat on the edge of the bed. She stayed there for like three days, wouldn't eat, couldn't sleep. Finally, her husband Mike came into the room, sat next to her, he said, Linda, I can't even imagine how hard this must be for you right now, but I have this idea. What? Why don't you try and find your real birth mother? That might help. Mike, this is not a fairy tale. Real life doesn't have happy endings. My mother didn't want me once, why would she want me now? I know, I know, I can't imagine how hard this is for you, but you couldn't feel any worse than you do now. What's the harm in trying? And besides, we have four children? What if there's some medical information that would be useful down the road? And in her heart, she knew he was right. So she sat down and wrote an ad to put in the paper. She didn't know where else to begin looking. The only information she had, was one detail that her sister remembered, the names of her biological parents, first names. So she put an ad in the newspaper. My name is Linda, born to a genie in Warren in Omaha, July 8, 1950. Given up for adoption. My adoptive parents are deceased. I, I do not wish to cause any problems, but I am seeking available information or possible reunion. You know what she's asking? Who am I? That's a big question. In fact, that's a question a lot of people have asked over the centuries. Because Linda's not the only one to find out she's been lied to, built her whole life on something that wasn't so. Sooner or later, every one of us has to ask that same question. If you haven't asked it yet, you will. Who am I? Where do I really belong? What is the meaning of my existence? Is there a purpose to my life? Everybody has to face those questions. If you haven't faced them yet, trust me, you you will. You can't get through life and not wonder who you are. One of the most famous examples anywhere is actually found in the gospel according to Luke. It's in the story of the thief on the cross. Luke 23, there were also two other, criminals, I like the way the old King James puts this verse, Malefactors. it means evildoers, these aren't people with speeding tickets, they're evildoers, <laughs> led with him to be put to death, and when they'd come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. The Bible says there was somebody hanging on the cross next to Jesus, and we know him as the thief on the cross, but you realize that's all we know. We don't know anything about this guy. We don't know who he is at all. We don't know what town he comes from. We don't know who his parents are. We don't know where he went to school. We don't even have his name. It doesn't even give us his name. Oh, it bothered our forefathers in the Christian faith. They started to make up stories about this guy because it bothered them so much that they didn't know who he was. They gave him a name. They called him Dismas. They said, oh, he was a boyhood friend of Jesus. And when they were little kids together, one day Dismas fell off the roof and died. And Jesus raised him from the dead. But it's nonsense. It's just a legend. Had to make up something about this guy. Other people say he saved Mary's life when she was fleeing to Egypt. But again, nonsense, because it bothers us. We don't know him. All we know is what the Bible says. Matthew calls him a thief. Mark calls him a transgressor. Luke calls him a criminal, a malefactor, an evildoer. This guy have hobbies and interests? We don't know. Did he have a girlfriend and a wife? We, we, we don't know. Any siblings? We don't know a thing about him. All we have is what the Bible says. Three words to wrap up a whole lifetime. Makes me wonder, what three words are they going to pick for me?
0: Disclosure continues after this break with more from Sean at Revelation Speaks Peace. We've posted video from this event on our website. There, you can also catch this show anytime. Just go to DisclosureRadio.com. I'm Jean Boonstra, and you're listening to Disclosure. Disclosure. Disclosure is just one of the programs brought to you by the Voice of Prophecy, like the audio adventure program, Discovery Mountain. Discovery Mountain is a weekly Bible-based program for kids of all ages and backgrounds. Your family will enjoy faith-building stories with Jake Donovan, (laughs) Mr. Simon, and others in this small mountain town. Each summer, campers visit Discovery Mountain where they sing songs, learn about God, and reenact a Bible story with the help of drama teachers, Miss Wendy and Miss Tamara. With 24 full episodes every year and programming every week, your family will have something uplifting to listen to every week. Listen to episodes on demand and watch video features from Director Doug at discoverymountain.com or on your favorite podcast platform. That's discoverymountain.com.
3: Are you searching for answers to life's toughest questions like, where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides. Study online on our secure website or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers and guides like, Does my life really matter to God? and a second chance at life. You'll find answers to the things that matter most to you in each of the 26 Discover Bible Guides. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions.
0: Gene Boonstra, and this is Disclosure. Now, Sean is away right now presenting his Revelation Speaks Peace Seminar to thousands of people in the Raleigh-Durham, North Carolina area. And while he's gone, we thought that you would like a taste of just what this seminar is like. And so let's continue with more from the same event that was recorded in Minneapolis.
1: What three words would they pick to sum up your whole life for you? In the end, that's all you get. Call it an obituary, maybe 200 words in the newspaper. An epitaph, just a few words on a headstone. It's all you get. Chances are you'll never read it. You'll never see your own epitaph. But I promise you, you've already begun to write it. Day by day, minute by minute, decision by decision. Every choice you make right now determines how you're remembered. The character you build makes a difference for all eternity. What you do now determines how you're remembered in the scrolls of heaven and here on earth. The sum total of your life is the result of all the decisions you make. Matthew, Mark, and Luke say this man is a thief, a transgressor, and an evildoer. Is he a good dad? I don't know. Good provider before he went into crime? I don't know. It's not what his life was about. Ultimately, at the end, the way that you sum this man up, he's a thief, he's a criminal, he's the very worst thing the rulers of Israel could find that day to hang next to Jesus to make his crucifixion seem even more shameful. They wanted to hang this guy next to Jesus because this guy was worthless. They could shame Jesus with a man like this. Worthless. Ask yourself a question. If you were escorted into heaven and visioned by John, stood right in front of the throne of God, right now, just the way you are, no studying, no prep, you're just there, bang. How would you do? How would you respond? Would you weep? If you had to stand right in front of the throne of God. Remember, nobody could be found that was worthy. Nobody. Do you know why? Because the Bible teaches the human race has sinned against God. And the only thing we're worthy of is death. How do I know? Some of you know these passages. Romans six twenty-three: the wages of sin is what? Death. Wait a minute, the wages of sin is death. Isn't that a little bit harsh? I mean, a few little misdeeds. Okay, I didn't tell the whole truth at April 15. You know, I didn't, I didn't submit an accurate tax return, but really I didn't do anything horrible and I have to die. What does that say about God? Is he some kind of a dictator? I don't do things his way, he kills me? Why death? Well, let's think about this. What actually happens when you sin? The Bible says one of the things that happens is we cut ourselves off from God, we compromise our relationship with him. Isaiah 59 says your iniquities, literally lawlessness, your iniquities have separated you from your God and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. Now, why does it separate you from God to commit a sin? It's because God is perfect and holy and without sin, and he can't allow sin in his presence. Why? Because he knows what kind of suffering sin causes, and he does not love suffering and pain. He knows what it does. He can't permit that in his presence. Sin compromises our connection to God. It cuts us off from him. And what happens if you cut off from God? Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the creator and he's the sustainer of life. He gives you every breath you've got. He's the only reason we're here right now. He is the only source of life in the universe. If you compromise a connection with the only source of life, what happens? You die. Yeah, but I've done some stuff, and I'm not dead yet. No, not yet. (laughs) It's coming. It's like unplugging a fan. Pull it out from the power. The blades keep spinning for a little while, and then they eventually stop. It's like running out of gas on the freeway, right? Car goes another quarter mile and eventually it stops. It's The whole world is winding down. It's why the contractions are getting bigger and bigger and bigger. Our problem is serious. This is why John weeps. We're cut off from God. And it's a universal human problem. There are no exceptions. 1 John 1 verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. There's that word again. It's a last day issue. Deception. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. It's a deception to tell yourself there's nothing wrong. Babylon was drunk. They didn't realize that they could really fall. Belshazzar drinking and partying as the armies are gathered outside. Revelation 17 says in the last days, all of Babylon is drunk. The world is drunk. If we say that we haven't sinned, we're like Belshazzar sitting in the city. I'll never have to pay the piper. I will never have to pay the consequences, but let me assure you tonight, you can't fool God. You can't fool Him. Everybody has sinned. And if we can't admit it, it might mean we're drunk. Listen to the Bible. Romans 3 verse 23. "For all, how many? Oh, you're getting quiet on me. How many? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many have sinned? All. How many are worthy of death? All. Who's worthy to open the scroll? Nobody. Okay, okay, I did some stuff. I did some stuff, but I'm absolutely not as bad as the guy who sits next to me in church. You should see what that guy did. It is awful. I can see he doesn't make it, but my list isn't nearly as bad. I'm not as bad as him. I'll, I'll tell you what. When I saw that snow this morning, I got an idea in my mind. I got an idea in my mind. I thought, Christine Woolman, who was singing with us earlier, she actually flew to St. Lucia this morning. She's out in the sun and in the tropics today as we are braving the elements to come to this meeting. And I, I thought, you know what, I want to go to St. Lucia too, but I don't have the airfare. I can't afford to go, so I'm going to drive to Miami and I'm going to swim because it's only 1,800 miles. So I could do that, but I don't want to do it alone, so I need somebody to swim with me. Pastor Doug, you're going to come, you don't know that you're going to do this. Here, come out here. We're gonna to swim to Saint Lucia. Let's go. Are you ready? No. No. no apparently not. <laughs> all right. Yeah. We're gonna get into the water now in Miami. You feel? I feel how nice and warm that is. Yeah. Yes. It, there is no water, Pastor Doug. It's just like it's it's our imagination. But we gotta go. Ready? It's 1,800 miles. Are you? Are you all limbered up? No. Uh, just you get to crack your neck a little bit. All right. Alright, let's go. Let's swim to St. Lucia. It's 1800. You're not going to make it with a stroke like that. That is absolutely pathetic. All right. let's, let's, let's go again. Alright, 1800 miles. Here we go. And we're going to go 700 miles. Oh, look at that. You broke your glasses. You don't need them out here. It's in the ocean. 800 miles, 900 miles, and suddenly he gets a funny look on his face. Not the usual funny look, a special funny look. Yeah, because a sh- and I say, what's wrong? A shark has your leg. Which one? Oh, this one. This one here, yeah. A shark bit my leg. A shark bit my leg? Yeah. Oh, my goodness, that's horrible. And all of a sudden, he goes under the water. Boop, boop, he's gone. I wait around for a little while, see if he comes back up. Nope. Nope. You, you can go now. You're all done, yeah. A little blood in the water, so i got to swim fast. i got to get out of here before the other sharks come. And so I keep going. 1,700 miles, 1,750 miles, 1,780 miles, 790 miles, and suddenly something's got my leg. Shark. (laughs) Under I go. We we both fell short of St. Lucia. Does it matter at all how far short? All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How dare we compare ourselves to other people? We all fall short. We're all lost. We're all in trouble. John knew it. The thief knew it too. Not at first, not at first, but eventually he figures it out. In the beginning, he does something really horrible. According to Matthew's gospel, he's making fun of Jesus. As he's hanging on a cross, dying, he's making fun of Jesus. Unbelievably, he joins the mockery of the crowd on the ground. Come on, Jesus. If you really are the Son of God, why don't you come down off that cross? King of the Jews, huh? That's what that sign says. We'll give you a throne if you come off that cross, or maybe you like the throne you have right now. Why doesn't God save you if you are His Son? They all did it Pharisees, the Romans. The priests whose work in the temple actually symbolized what Jesus was doing for them at that very moment are mocking Jesus. They're all doing it. Come on, Jesus. If you are Messiah, you could do something about this. This shouldn't be a problem for you. They were casting it in his teeth, Matthew says. And the thief, too. And suddenly, he stops. And he looks over at Jesus and something happens in his mind. He suddenly remembers everything he's heard about this man, Jesus. He went about doing good. He healed the sick. He loved the unlovable. He touched the untouchable. And he thinks about Jesus in that judgment hall last night, how he just stood there and took it, not like a guilty man does, but like an innocent man. And he suddenly sees that Jesus isn't deceived. He is. And he suddenly sobers up. He finds out in the last seconds of his life, that it's all been a big lie. There's been a conspiracy. I don't believe in conspiracies. Not me neither, not the kind you see on YouTube, but sometimes they're real. Hard to deny it because they kept Linda in the dark for 42 years. Turns out her birth mother was a little girl named Jeannie, got married at 17, had a baby that year, and her teenage husband said, I don't want children, and disappeared, disappeared into the woodwork. So she went and found a job in Omaha, found an older couple to take care of her little child, Linda, Mr. and Mrs. Whitney. It was too far to travel there every day, so she would drop Linda off on Sunday night, pick her up Friday afternoon, it worked well until one day she got a phone call at work. Jeannie, it's social services. They found out about our child care arrangement, and they say it's not legal, and if you don't come and sign some papers, you're going to lose your baby. Don't let it happen. i will be right over. She went over, looked at it. She didn't understand it all. Big words. There was someone sitting there, dressed nicely, said, no, really, you need to sign this. And so she signed it, went back to work. Friday came. It was Linda's second birthday, and so she, she wrapped a little present. She couldn't afford much, but it had a bow on top, and she was so excited. We're going to have a birthday party. And, and she went over to the Whitney's, and she was humming, happy birthday to you. She knocked on the door, and there's nothing. Knocked again, and she got this feeling in her one something is wrong. She started to bang on the door, and finally, the superintendent stuck his head out in the hole and said, Can I help you? She said, Yeah, do you know where the Whitneys are today? They don't live here anymore, they moved out several days ago. They're gone. You know where they went? No. I don't know if you can imagine the pain of separation, maybe you can. But I guarantee God can. He understands that kind of pain because somebody once stole all of his children and then they nailed his only begotten son to a cross. Let me tell you something. The Lamb of God knows suffering. He's not isolated from your pain. He lived here like us. He died worse than us. He gets it. Jeannie called Mr. Whitney's boss He disappeared, didn't even pick up his last paycheck. We have no idea where he is. then she got this horrible idea. What if those papers I signed were adoption papers? Can you imagine being deceived like that? She called the adoption agencies. They said, we can't talk to you. That's all closed. She had no money. She couldn't afford a lawyer or a private investigator, so it's over now. All she can do, she gets every phone book from every city she can. She looks up the name Whitney and phones them all real conspiracy. Let me assure you there's been a conspiracy in your life, I guarantee it. Someone has stolen you from your father and is trying to keep you in the dark. Paul writes, if our gospel is veiled, hidden, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe the God of this age is Satan lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. There is a conspiracy. Someone is trying to keep you away from the truth, but I'm telling you that a conspiracy is a fabrication. It is not perfect. And no matter how clever the devil might be after perfecting his craft for thousands of years, his work is full of defects and holes that are big enough for the light of truth to shine through. And the Bible says that a thief on a cross noticed some light, peeking through one of those holes and he wakes up and for the first time in his life with blood and sweat and dirt in his eyes he can now see clearly. He can see that the man he's been mocking is the Lamb of God, the promised Messiah. And he looks back down at the crowd and listens to the mocking Jesus and suddenly he recognizes a voice in that crowd. And if you listen carefully you will hear the voice in the crowd too because it keeps using one word. If... If you are the King of the Jews, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from that. You recognize that voice? You should.
0: We'll continue with more after the break. Remember to catch us anytime at disclosureradio.com. I'm Jean Boonstra. You're listening to Disclosure. searching for answers to life's toughest questions, like where is God when we suffer? Can I find real happiness? Does my life really matter to God? Or is there any hope for our chaotic world? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find the answers that you're looking for. Visit us at BibleStudies.com or give us a call at 888-456-7933 for your free Discover Bible Guides study online on our secure website, or have the free guides mailed right to your home. There is never a cost or obligation. The Discover Bible Guides are our free gift to you. Find answers in guides like A Second Chance at Life. You'll find answers to the things that matter the most to you. Visit BibleStudies.com and begin your journey today to discover answers to life's deepest questions. As you may know, the Voice of Prophecy is supported by people just like you. We provide Christ-centered programs and Bible studies free of charge, so that no one is left out. If you've been blessed by these programs and would like to pay it forward, we invite you to visit vop.com/give to make your tax-deductible donation. We're equipping the world for Christ to come, and your support will make a direct impact on so many lives. That's vop.com/give. Welcome back to Disclosure. I'm Jean Boonstra. Let's continue now with Sean at the Revelation Speaks Peace Bible Prophecy Seminar.
1: Think of it, but listen. Jesus, is this your big plan? Is this how you're going to establish your kingdom and take back the world? Why don't you come down off that cross if you're the son of God? If, if, if. I'm guessing Jesus recognized the voice. He heard it in the desert when he began his ministry. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, cast yourself off the. T-. You know who said that. Don't like to think of the devil at the cross, but how else do you explain that we nailed God's Son to that cross? There must have been a moment when he realized he blew it. First, he wanted Jesus dead, but then he sees what's happening and realizes the cross is going to be in his undoing, and it was. When would he finally realize that it was going to expose him as a murderer and a liar? When I hear the insults dripping off the lips of the crowd, I know that the devil is starting to catch on. Come off that cross! And Jesus could have come down. He could have. He didn't have to hang there at all. He would have done nothing wrong by walking away. He didn't have to do it. But he knew if you ever wanted to stand in the kingdom, he would go through with that. It's the only way. And let me assure you tonight, Jesus did not want to die. How do I know that? In the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. It's the only way. Love made him do it. It's what held him there, not the nails. Devil wanted him down. Every time the cross comes up, every time people crack open a Bible, he still shows up and he still raises doubts. If. You'll never be good enough. You can always do this later. Why don't you wait until you have all your questions answered? What would your friends think? You don't want to look too religious, do you? They still come. They still stand in the shadows, and they still draw people away. Why? Because they're scared the truth is going to come out. They're scared you're going to find out you've been stolen and lied to. They're scared that you're going to see the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is found in the Word of God. The wages of sin is death. But... The gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the rest of the text. That word, but, changes it all. You don't have to die. You could be in the kingdom of Christ. What do you have to do? It's really, really simple. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There are no exceptions there doesn't say if you... I mean, all you have to do is come clean with God and admit what the problem is. That's it. There's no other way for Him to work with you. And He cleanses you from all unrighteousness. There are no exceptions doesn't say he'll cleanse you from everything except a murder it doesn't say anything except cheating on your spouse it doesn't say anything except drunkenness or stealing or a ruined relationship it doesn't have any exceptions he will cleanse you from all unrighteousness and that is the gift of God to you it's a gift because you can't earn it for by grace Paul writes you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves it is the gift of God you can't earn this you're going to have to take it as a gift. Listen to how the Bible ends, it's right at the very end in Revelation. Let him who hears say, come, and let him who thirsts, come, whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. You look at your life, have you ever felt that you are thirsty for something more? A few moments ago the thief is wrestling with Roman soldiers. Now he's wrestling with something worse, it's conviction just like some of you right now. A conviction that the man on the cross in the middle is the Son of God. Cries out, stop it! Don't you see what we're doing? We deserve this, but this man is innocent. And then he utters nine words. Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Such a simple prayer. You know, out in the wilderness, the devil tried to tempt Jesus to take a shortcut. Jesus, all you have to do, you don't have to go the hard way. I'll give the whole world back to you. I'll give you a kingdom. All you have to do right now is bow down and worship me. Just bow down. Of course, Jesus didn't do it. And then at the cross, the crowd is mocking him and the message is now what Jesus you should have taken me up on my offer you've got nothing left and even your father isn't here and the people you thought would choose you just nailed you to a cross and then in the dark it's the devil's turn to recognize a voice Lord remember me when you come into your kingdom the devil just lost one Somebody just chose Jesus of his own free will. The lowest of the low, the worst man they could find that day to put Jesus to shame, just accepted Jesus Christ and became a member of the kingdom of God. Think about the cross. How can you look at the cross and not hate sin? I hate sin because it put Jesus there. I know I did it. My pride became a nail in Jesus' hand, my unbelief, a spear in his side. How can you see the cross, not hate sin? There he is. He's hanging on my cross. You know, that cross is still for thieves and transgressors and evildoers. You you feel like you're not good enough for church, feel like you're not good enough for heaven, then you're one of the few that finally gets it. You're not. (laughs) Nobody is. No one could be found worthy. Only Jesus is. That's why John wept. You can't make yourself good enough. But then he sees it. The slain lamb is good enough. God forbid, wrote Paul, that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Linda ran an ad October 1992. The phone rang on November 2nd. It was a social services agent. Linda, we we think you might be in store for a very merry Christmas. What? Yeah, this lady called us, and she knows stuff that nobody could possibly know. Should we give her your number? Yeah. When the phone rang later that afternoon, she was so nervous she could barely work up the courage to answer. Mike came up, held her hand. Hello? Hello, is, is, is this Linda? Yeah. Is this my mom? Mom, I, I can't believe you saw my ad on that one day that I ran it. Honey, I've been reading the paper every day for your whole life waiting for that ad. I haven't missed a day in 42 years. Do you know what happens when you send up your prayer tonight? Do you know what happens? God says, I've been waiting every day I saw you born I followed you I saw what people did to you I have seen every minute of it and I've been waiting your whole life for this minute do you know why the thief doesn't have a name if if the thief had a name he'd look like somebody else without a name, He looks exactly like you.
2: Today you have watched just one in a series of Revelation Speaks Peace presentations. The entire series is available on DVD. Find out how you can order a copy at vop.com slash rsp or call 877-955-2525 Or if you wish, you may request the series by writing to Voice of Prophecy, P.O. Box 999, Loveland, Colorado, 80539. Our world is in turmoil, war, hate, catastrophe, and a battle for our mind. What on earth is next? Order the entire Revelation Speaks Peace series from The Voice of Prophecy, 24 powerful episodes on DVD, Pastor Sean Boonstra will clearly unlock prophecies in Daniel and Revelation using the Bible as the key. Experience hope for your future. Decode secrets of prophecy in episodes such as A New World Order, The Ultimate Mind Game, and How to Postpone Your Funeral. The world is changing so quickly. Learn how to read Bible prophecy for yourself with the complete DVD series, Revelation Speaks Peace. You can also find answers to life's toughest questions by ordering Voice of Prophecy's free Discover Bible Guides. Where is God when you suffer? Does your life really matter? How does Bible prophecy affect my life? The Discover Bible Guides will help you find answers to these questions in the Bible. We'll take you step by step to what you care about most. Study online or have us send them straight to your mailbox. To order your DVD set, or discover Bible guides, go to vop.com slash rsp. Again, that's vop.com slash rsp. Or call 877-955-2525. You may also send us a request by mail to Voice of Prophecy, P.O. Box 999, Loveland, Colorado, 80539.
0: Well, we've run out of time for today, and you've been listening to Sean presenting a seminar series called Revelation Speaks Peace. Now, did you know that you can get your own CD or DVD copy as well? We'll post a link on our website where you can also find show notes and other episodes. Find it all at DisclosureRadio.com. Well, thanks for listening. I'm Jean Boonstra, and this has
3: been Disclosure.